How is everyone? Good. Praise God. Well, so we're in 2 Corinthians here, part 9 of our series as we're preaching through it. Uh, we're in chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 13 through 18 in just a minute here. Thanks. But Father, we thank you for this book. We thank you for every book of the Bible. What a treasure your word is to us. Father, help us to revere the gift of the word, to spend time in it daily, to ruminate on it, to chew on it, to allow it not to just penetrate our minds, but our hearts and our souls. Father, we realize it's the word that changes us from the inside out, Lord. And we look at the Apostle Paul as he pens this letter to the Corinthians and how his life was just totally transformed from one who persecuted the church and martyred the saints to one who uh, set the foundation for the New Testament church and gave us such solid theology. Father, we know that because of what you did in him, nothing is impossible, and you can do amazing things with us and in us. And so let this book challenge us to be all that we were made to be in Christ. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Chapter 4, 2 Corinthians, verse 13. But having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, so that grace, having spread to more and more people, will cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Let's stop there. There's so much in those verses. I want to squeeze every bit of juice out if we can. Verse 13 starts off, and we're shifting back here to focusing on the unity that we have in the body of Christ. Paul's bouncing back and forth on several topics. He's strengthening his apostolic authority, reestablishing it for those who questioned it. He's uh, giving us solid theology, challenging the Corinthians in every way. And here in verse 13, he kind of shifts back to focus on the unity that we have in the body of Christ. You know what makes the church strong is not good music, good preaching, comfortable seats, powerful air conditions. Right? You ever been to a church, no air condition? Ever been down to some of those little home churches, right? Yeah, I mean, the, the, everybody's sweating. Not just the sinners. I mean, everybody's preachers sweating. You know, it's like sometimes we think, you know, the, well, the kingdom is all about, you know, having this and that and, that, and that's the kingdom. And, you know, no, the unity in the body is what makes the body strong. The unity in the church is what makes the church strong. When we can even look past our differences and our backgrounds and our skin colors and be one in Christ, I'm telling you what, when we do that, nothing, there's no devil in hell that can stop the church when it's unified, amen? But when the church is fractured and fragmented and divided, we're our own worst enemy. 
A kingdom divided against itself can't stand. So here is Paul focusing on the unity that's in the body, and he's specifically zeroing in on the, the, the balance that comes between the leadership and those that are being served, between the sheep and the shepherds. And so he's, he's kind of focusing in on that, showing that there's, a, there's differences in roles, but we also have some commonalities, and we also have strength in our unity. Um, some churches create a chasm between the leadership and the laity. We're going to talk about that in a little bit, but listen to verse 13. But having the same spirit of faith, see, it's the same spirit in me, same spirit of you, amen? I'm full of the Holy Ghost, preaching in the Holy Ghost. You're full of the Holy Ghost, receiving what the Holy Ghost is bringing through me tonight, Amen. Having the same spirit of faith according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we speak. So, you know, there's a lot of speaking that goes on. There's a lot of spiritual people who have theories and have, you know, ideas. But listen, we have nothing to say until we have first been spoken to. Amen. We don't have anything to give until God fills us. So what? We believe, then we speak. The problem is if people don't believe and still speak, they muddy up the waters. And God help us if we get that behind the pulpits where people don't believe. There there are churches that don't believe that this is the inspired word of God. There are preachers that say, well, this is just stories. You know, we just need to be nice people and be kind to each other and save the environment. And and that passes for a church. But you got to believe before you can speak. And so, you know, this unity between uh, the body and the leadership uh, all hinges on the Holy Spirit and how he is uh, fitly joining the church together and making it work in synchronization and harmony. Some churches, like I said, they create a chasm or a wall between the leadership and the laity. Listen to verse 14. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and will present us to you. So let me just focus in on a little bit about what I'm talking about here. The separation between the leadership and the people. Remember in the book of Revelation, Jesus mentions a doctrine. And he calls it the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Do you remember that? He mentions it a couple times as he corrects a few of the churches. The doctrine of the Nicolaitans is mentioned several times, and every time Jesus mentions it, he says he hates it. When Jesus says he hates something, we should listen up and pay attention because God help us if we're doing things that Jesus hates. Now, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans was hated by Jesus. Why? Because that word Nicolaitans, if you break it down in the Greek, Nico, or the where we get the word Nike from, means victory. It means victory. Nicolaitans means victory over the laity. There were church systems that separated the people from God and said, you can't talk to God, you can't read the Bible, you can't teach yourself, you need to come to us, we go to God, and then we'll give it to you. That's the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. What does it do? It separates the leadership from the people, it separates the the leaders from the laity, and Jesus said, I hate that doctrine. I hate that system of church government. Wow, it's powerful, isn't it? To consider when you let it run through your mind and think about churches that leadership is here and people are there and they, they spoon feed you the, the scripture and they tell you don't read the Bible, you can't understand it. Have you ever been in a church like that? I know a lot of you have and you're just looking at me right now. 
So Jesus says he hates that doctrine. Why? Because that church system that gets victory over the laity suppresses the people and rules over them and separates them from God. You see, there should be no separation between leadership and laity. There should be no separation between shepherds and sheep. Amen? We're one. We have one spirit. Amen? We believe and then we speak. We each have a part to do in the body of Christ. And if we don't learn to love one another and commune with each other and respect each other, we're not going to have the unity in the church that we need to push back the darkness of our generation. Come on tonight. So Paul differentiates, you know, himself from the laity at some points. He's trying to show as an apostle, he has certain duties and certain responsibilities within the local church and to the Lord, but he's not trying to put himself apart to act as if he's better. No, Paul was not that type of guy. He, he, he didn't, you know, lord over the people, but he, Paul was a shepherd that smelled like sheep. He loved people. His heart was for the churches, Charles. I mean, he wanted, he yearned to be with them. Why? The only reason Paul would, you know, be upset about being locked up or under house arrest or stuck in some prison somewhere is that he couldn't be with the, the saints of God that he loved. So Paul was this great example of, you know, someone as a leader who loved the sheep and didn't put himself over them. Uh, he, he, you know, kind of, always had his heart on his sleeve and just communicating that, you know, he wanted to be with the people. Now, Paul shows that as an apostle, he has some duties, he has some responsibilities, but he also shows that with the people, he has some commonalities, and he highlights those. Number one, he says, you know, we are all one in spirit. I want you to get this. There's only one Holy Ghost, and he's in every single one of us that are born again. Amen. Having the same spirit. The same spirit that was in Paul, it was in the people. The same spirit that was in Paul is in you and I. Amen. The same spirit in me that allows me to preach the word under the power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit is in you receiving what the Holy Spirit is bringing. Are you getting this? Do you see the unity? It's a powerful thing. Having the same spirit. It's not like, you know, certain people have, you know, the, the genuine Holy Spirit, and some people have Holy Spirit Junior, and then these people have Holy Spirit Light, and these people have Holy Spirit Caffeine Free. No, it's one spirit, amen? It's not like a little child that's born again, and, you know, and, and children can be born again. Children can believe. Children can express faith, and the same Holy Ghost that was in Jesus that raised him from the dead is in a little child. These are mysteries, and sometimes if you think about them, they'll begin to just blow your mind. That the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us, all of us, not just the leadership, but the laity. So we have the same spirit, and and he says, you know, we are all the byproduct of personal faith. Look at that. Uh, The same spirit of what? Faith, according to what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke. So, you know, he, he kind of walks it out, but catch this here. You know, we have the same spirit, and we receive the spirit all the same way, by faith. Well, no, I, I got the spirit through intellect. You know, I just, I connected with God intellectually, and we sat down, and we, we understood it. No. Well, you know, I, I received the spirit by emotions. I'm just, you know, I'm very emotionally sensitive. 
No, you don't receive the Spirit through the intellect. You don't receive it by emotions. That's not the way the Spirit is received. And it makes it very clear here that the Spirit is received by faith. When the grace of God draws us and convicts us and we express faith in Jesus Christ and he becomes the Lord of our lives and fills us with this one spirit that Paul is highlighting here. Leaders aren't saved, sanctified, or redeemed any differently than those who sit in the pews. And there again, this is a point of unity for us. We're all saved by grace through faith. Say amen. amen. Verse 14, I read it. I'll read it again. <coughs> knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and will present us with you. So there again, there's this presenting of the church, us with you. Uh, there's that unity inferred there. But he's making another point here about unity in the body of Christ. We all have the same hope of the resurrection. Not only do we have the same spirit and receive the same spirit by faith the same way, all of us, but we also have the same hope of the resurrection. He who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us. This is good news tonight, Wednesday night. Come on, don't fall asleep on me now. We're not just living this life and trying to get through and make it through the day. No, we're headed for heaven for eternity, amen. That resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead is going to raise up each one of us when our time comes, amen. When I draw my last breath and my heart beats its last beat, that resurrection power is going to take me to be with the Lord for eternity, amen. And, and that's our hope today. We have that same hope. What? Because Jesus was raised from the dead, that we would be raised from the dead. Listen, Jesus is a prototype. It says here in Colossians that what? He was the firstborn from the dead. He's the prototype. What is he doing? He, he led the way. He's showing us, this is what I did. I died, I rose, and I went to be with my father forever. All of us who are in Christ are going to die. He's going to raise us up, and we're going to be with the father in eternity forever. It's good news tonight, amen. Listen to Colossians 1.18. He is also the head of the body, the church, talking about Jesus. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. There it is. And he himself will come to have first place in everything. Wow. Jesus is preeminence. Jesus is lordship over everything. But he being the prototype, the firstborn from the dead. Look, if Jesus went in the tomb and stayed in the tomb, we have no hope of a resurrection. If Jesus went in the tomb and stayed in the tomb, we should all be home now watching Netflix because we're wasting our time here. So we might as well waste it in front of the TV. But because he died and he rose, showing us exactly what we could expect when we're in him, it gives us this incredible hope. Jesus paved the way because the Father raised him up, the Father will raise us up. We're joint heirs with Christ, the Bible says, amen. <laughs> inheritors, uh, we're going to inherit eternal life through that resurrection power. Now, let me say something about the Apostle Paul as we go through the text here. The Apostle Paul wasn't an us and them type of guy. Have you ever met people that are like us and them types? They're always looking to divide. Well, you're this and I'm that. You know, I'm a Republican, you're a Democrat. I'm, you know, I'm this. I'm, and they're always looking to divide. And, they, and that's all they want to do. It's us and them. And Paul wasn't like that at all. And look, as Christians, we shouldn't be like that either. We shouldn't be looking to make divisions. Paul 
when it came to the sheep and him being a shepherd and, and the chiefest of apostles, I mean, you know, maybe he didn't know how wonderful he was, and that would have probably been easier. But Paul it was an incredible man of God. Amen. I've said this over and over again. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, gave us the, the bulk of the New Testament theology. Just the book of Romans itself is a, is a masterpiece, every word of it dripping with theology. You know, hopefully Paul didn't know how, you know, incredibly God was using him, so that would have kept his pride in check. But, you know, he, he never had this attitude of him being above anyone. And when he talked about he said, I'm the least of the apostles. Remember that? He saw himself as, you know, someone snatched out of the fires of hell. Why? Because he was destroying the church, martyring Christians, jailing and breaking up the church, and God reached down and saved him. So he wasn't an us-and-them type of guy on the other side of the cross. He didn't look down on the lost people of the world. He didn't look down with disdain on anyone in the church, especially his brothers and sisters in Christ. Look, and this is a perfect example for us. We're God's children, God's sons and daughters. We're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We are a royal nation, a holy priesthood. Amen. Man, I wish somebody had some faith in here. I'm running out of stuff to encourage you with. But we're all that. But at the same time, we can't look down on anyone. God help us if we look down on sinners. Oh, the world, them sinners. Yeah, and I know sin is offensive, and we should have righteous indignation towards the wickedness of this world. We shouldn't be indifferent towards it. Ah, it's just sin. Ah, it doesn't matter. Ah, God will take. No, we, we should be offended by sin because Jesus is, but we should never look down on sinners. And God help us if we look down on others in the church. Well, they don't believe like us, or they don't have church like us, or they don't worship like us. Or they don't have the Holy Ghost like us. <laughs> That's disgusting. That's the devil. Because that brings division. We're talking about unity tonight. Paul was all about unity. Wasn't an us and them type of guy. Didn't even have a bad attitude towards the lost. Loved them all. Preached to them all with boldness. They had him in chains. The Roman centurions are leading him around. He's preaching to the, his captors, and they're getting saved. Uh, I want you to understand that you, you li listen, the only thing that puts a lid on the gospel is our, our wrong attitude. When we look at everybody as a candidate for salvation, not this one's lost, this one's a sinner, this one's crazy, that guy's in a cult, this guy. So... Paul has this attitude as an example, not an us and them type of guy, doesn't look down at the world, doesn't look down at the church, doesn't look down at, oh, you Corinthians, you bunch of carnal, you know, you're lucky I even come to you. You're lucky I even write letters to you. You're so, no, his heart is broken for them. He has a, just a genuine love for them. So this is a powerful example for us to follow. Uh, it's a good test of our character. There's, a, there's an example and a test of character in here, and the example is this. We are all works of grace. So looking down on others outside or inside of the church is absolutely out of line. I'm saved by grace. I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. It was nothing I did. Listen, I, you and I are a complete work of God's grace. We can't take any credit for it. 
So how could we look down on anybody else? That's the example. The test of character is this. If we do look down on others, if we do judge others, if we do categorically reject total groups of people because they're just too sinful or too crazy, you know, the Jews had these things with the Samaritans, man. They, they just, you know, oh, the Samaritans, you guys are filthy. You're not real, you know, Jews. And, and they just had this clash. On the other side of the cross, as New Testament Christians, we can't have that attitude towards anybody. Why? Because if we do, then we're not like Jesus. If we have that type of attitude to look down, we're certainly not like the Apostle Paul. Do you know who we're like? We're like the Pharisees. Now, if you've sat around for any length of time or read through the New Testament or heard me preach about the Pharisees, you know, I'd rather be accused of anything other than being a Pharisee because they were self-righteous, grace killers, judgmental thought that, you know, it was all about them and they had reached the pinnacle. Jesus called them brood of vipers, whitewashed tombs, sons of hell. Said, your father is the devil. Woof. So that us in them attitude has no place in us. We're works of grace. That's our example to follow. And it's a proof of our character. If we're still looking down on people, we need to be conformed to the image of Christ. We need to be more like the Apostle Paul, and we need to repent of being Pharisees. Verse 15, for all things are for your sakes. He's talking to the Corinthians, Paul is, so that grace having spread to more and more, say more and more, so grace having spread to more and more people will cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Verse 15 is interesting in that it reveals Paul's perspective concerning the things he suffered for the kingdom of God. You know, we know about his life. We know about his eventual martyrdom. We see the things he suffered. And Paul has an interesting perspective. How many, how many of us can be, you know, transparent enough to admit when we suffer stuff, you know, we have a hard time not being bitter about it? Amen. Let me raise two hands. For, the, for those of you who are lying and not raising any hands. Yeah. Because, you know, when somebody abuses us or we go through something rotten or something unjust, you know, sometimes it takes us years to get over it. And then just when we think we're over it, someone can remind us of it, and within seconds, boom, we're all lathered up and angry again. There's people who go through my mind just out of the blue. You ever have that? You haven't thought of them in years. They, they, they did you wrong. They go through your mind, and you're like, jerk. Or worse, maybe worse. I can say jerk in church, I think. But, you know, you just, it all comes back. You know, Paul's perspective about the stuff he went through is, is, is so different. He says, all this is what? All these things are for your sakes. Paul did what he did for Jesus because he loved Jesus. It was an act of worship to serve Jesus who had saved him, but he also realized that his service was a benefit to both the saints and the lost. See that? What we suffer for the kingdom of God is not just in a vacuum. It's not just because of injustice. For what we suffer, what we go through, the experience we learn, the testimony we make is an encouragement to the lost and to the saints. 
When people see you go through situations in life, losses and hardships and injustices, and they know you're a Christian, and they watch you handle it with grace, and you, and you have faith, and you, you, you maintain your integrity, they look at you and go, wow. The world looks and goes, wow. Look at those Christians. They went through this, and they got hurt, and they got used, and they got abused, and they had loss, and their, their, their spouse died, their child died, but they didn't curse God, and they maintained their faith. Are you getting this? It's an example to the lost. So Paul realized what I'm going through is not just for me. It's not just to redeem me and grind my rough edges off. No, it's a testimony to those who don't believe. And it's also an encouragement to those who do believe that they could see someone who's spiritually mature, you know, at the tip of the spear, pushing back the gates of hell and, and meeting all this resistance, yet God was faithful to keep him. It's good testimony. It's vital that we adopt the same attitude that Paul had. Why? Because it galvanizes the sense of purpose we need to handle life. See, sometimes when we go through stuff and we don't understand why, we don't handle it very well. But when we understand the why of it and that it's not worthless or just ridiculous, there's a purpose to it. Everything you and I go through every day, there is a purpose to it. Nothing touches our lives that doesn't come first through the Father's hands. I'm just making sure you believe me. God's in charge. God's in control. Why did I go through this? Or why did I go through that? The whys and the what ifs, we won't, we won't know this side of heaven. Someday we, we'll know. But we got to trust him that whatever touches us, you know, when we have this perspective, it allows us to have a sense of purpose so we can handle life. What I do in obedience to Christ will please Christ and release the favor of God into my life. It will also strengthen the church, and it also will impress and draw the lost. And I love it. It says, so that grace having spread to more and more people. See that? The grace that comes off of our life, comes off of us as a church, comes off of us as the people of God. That that grace that comes off, it touches what? More and more people. More and more people. God is saving more and more people. More and more people are waking up and seeing Christ. More and more people are coming into the kingdom of God. Amen? And that's the purpose that we serve while we're still here. Look, if God didn't have a purpose for us here, we would not be here. I'm still here, so he still has some people for me to annoy. I'm I'm convinced of that. But understand something about grace. Grace is meant to be shared, not to be hidden or hoarded. You ever meet Christians like that? They just heap the, the blessings upon themselves. They just heap the grace upon themselves. They just heap the wealth upon themselves. Come on. It got quiet on me all of a sudden. You ever meet them? They're just like cisterns. They just dump it all. Oh, more, 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 more for me. It's not supposed to be. It's supposed to flow through us. Amen. Some people say, well, why doesn't God give me anymore? Because you're not sharing it. Grace is meant to be shared. It's, look what it says here. More and more people, that, that we get that, will 
cause thanksgiving, what? To overflow to the glory of God. See, it's that overflow of grace. It's the overflow from our lives that touches people around us. And then more and more people are exposed to the gospel. And the Holy Spirit brings more and more people into relationship with Jesus. Verse 16, therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man, it says in the King James, our outer man or person is decaying, our inner man is renewed day by day. Let's stop here. Verse 16 is a powerful verse. We need to understand it. 16 is both an encouragement and an insight. The encouragement is this. He's saying uh, what? Therefore, we do not lose heart. So the encouragement is don't lose heart. Have you heard people say, oh, that guy's got a lot of heart or, you know, he, he didn't have any heart. Or, that, that expression means that, you know, uh, some people forge ahead and some people push through the storm and some people fold like a cheap camera. If someone says you got a lot of heart, that's a compliment. If someone says you got no heart, that's not a compliment. And here the text is telling us, therefore, we do not lose heart. So the encouragement, the encouragement to us is that we need to have heart. What does that mean? It means that we shouldn't become disillusioned or discouraged by the hardships we faced. It means that we shouldn't shrink back or throw in the towel or quit so easily. It means we, we should face hardships and push through storms and trust God and speak words of faith and, and see the resistance in our life as proof that we're making an impact. Do you know the re- If there's no resistance in your life, you better come up to the altar again and I'll pray the sinner's prayer with you. If the devil never pushes back against you, if there's, no, if there's no assault on your life, listen, if you're a Christian and you're walking with Jesus, there is going to be resistance in your life. The kingdom of darkness does not waste its limited assets attacking those who are no threat to it. Let me say that again. The kingdom of darkness has limited assets. When Satan fell, he took a third of the angels with him. That's all he's got to work with. Two-thirds were left, and God and the Trinity were intact. And listen, he fell. So that's what the kingdom of darkness has to work with. They have limited assets, and they don't waste those assets attacking people that are no threat to the darkness. So if you have no resistance in your life, Maybe it's time to examine yourself and see if you're in the faith. But if you do have resistance and the enemy resists you at every turn and everything's a bare knuckle, knock down, drag them out fight, then God bless you. Good for you because you're on the right track. You're a threat to the kingdom of darkness. And, and, and that's a good thing for us. Amen. Uh, so I'm, I'm praying we get this. That's the encouragement. So have some heart. If you're facing hardships, it's a good thing. It's proof that you're dangerous and that the Lord is with you. Uh, That's the encouragement. The inside is contained in the last part of the verse. It says this, but though your outer person or outer man, say outer, is decaying, yet our inner, say inner, our inner person is being renewed day by day. Inner and outer, outer and inner. What is that all about? Our outer man is our physical man. It's this body. And look what the text says. Our outer person is decaying. Anybody over 30 here today? <laughs> Come on, you got you to laugh at this. 
you know, it's true. You get to a certain age where parts stop working, things fall off, <laughs> gravity starts kicking your butt. And you're like, what, what's going on? The text told us right there. We don't like to admit it, but decay. These bodies, the outer man is turning back to dust. They're, these bodies are not going to last forever. And so, you know, th this is something that the world has a big struggle with. Everything is about youth and maintaining youth and take this serum and this cream and this potion and drink this and juice that and da -da 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 -da, inject this and tuck that and nip that and... I mean, hey, you can fight it as much as you want, but it's coming. <laughs> you know, and I, and I suggest staying in good shape and take care of yourself and be, I'm, that's good. That's a good thing. You know, the Bible says physical exercise profits little, and all the out-of-shape people know that scripture. <laughs> but you know what, what they miss is that at least it's profitable. You know, you're sitting on the couch eating a box of Little Debbie's, you know, you, you might want to go to the gym every once in a while you'll have a better quality of life. So our outer person is decaying, but our inner person is being renewed day by day. The natural man is in decline. That's just a physical, physiological fact. Uh, mentally, over time, all of us, you know, lose a step physically and lose a step mentally. And you get to a certain age where, you know, you can't do what you used to do. Or if you do it, you're going to need to smell like Ben Gay for at least a week. <laughs> I remember when we used to play softball, the team, you know, we would play on Saturday night. The next day, the church smelled like Ben Gay. It was crazy. <laughs> at one point, we had an infield where no one could touch their toes, Charles. No, they were just like, you know, and that's the outer man decaying. But, and, and, that, and that's hard. It's bad news. I mean, it, it, we wish it wasn't the case, but... But the outer man is in decline. But the truth is that our spiritual man is actually getting stronger day by day. You got to get this tonight. We got to focus on it. The outer person is decaying, yet our inner person is being renewed day by day. So while the physical man gets weaker and weaker, it's returning to dust, the, the, the spiritual part of us is growing in maturity. It's growing in grace. It's growing in being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. We are becoming spiritually stronger, more mature, and more formidable to the kingdom of darkness every day we walk with Jesus. It's good news tonight. So while our bodies are slowly returning back to the dust, our spirits are slowly returning back to the original state that they were in in the garden. What Jesus is doing is redeeming us from the curse of sin by breaking the power of it, and he's actually restoring us to the state we were in in the garden to the point where he's going to redeem everything that sin stole from us. Amen. That's good news tonight. And then he's going to glorify us and bring us to heaven and give us glorified bodies. Forget these bodies, man. I want the glorified body. Amen. I've never looked in the mirror and went, this is glory. No. I, I want that 
glorified body that's coming. Why? Because he's restoring us to the original state that we were in in the garden. It's the, it's the dynamics of redemption that we know so little about, but Jesus is doing it. Romans 8, 29 through 30 says this, For those he foreknew, he did predestine to become conformed to the image of his son. Old man's the king. The, the, the new man's being conformed to the image of Jesus. So that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. There he is, the prototype. That's Jesus, verse 30. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these who he called, he also justified. These whom he justified, he also glorified. Romans 8, 29 through 30. That's a scripture that all of us should meditate on. Why? Because it's the metamorphosis that we're going through as believers. <laughs> From what we were wretched and lost in our sin and God snatched us out of the muck and mire. He dusted us off. He filled us with the Holy Spirit. Now he's walking us and the Holy Spirit's conforming us into his image. He predestined us, what? So that when he can finally glorify us in the end. It's good, good news. Good news tonight, Amen. Verse 17 and 18, I close with this. And you know when a preacher says he's going to close, it's probably two or three hours at the max. <laughs> but, but I'm going to close with this. It says, I love this. This is one of my favorite verses. Paul says, for our momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. All the garbage Paul had been through. You read about it. Beaten, stoned, shipwrecked, snake bit, uh, you know, uh, jailed, uh, all of these things that he went through, he says, he, he gets them all together in one ball, and he says, it's momentary light affliction. Wow. Some of us, if we, were, if we went through one thing that Paul went through, I got locked up, and they, they took me, and they handcuffed me, and we'd be bitter for the rest of our lives. He balls it all up together, and he calls it momentary light affliction. And he says, it's producing for us, ah, there it is, his perspective to understand that everything he went through had a purpose. What was the purpose of all of this light affliction? Producing in us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. So, you know, this is a powerful thing. Having this perspective that I'm trying to point out that Paul has makes it so much easier for us to endure the hardships of the moment. Why? Because it's all temporary. And even though it's uncomfortable for a short time, it's producing something for us that's going to last forever. And I want to say something. The devil tries to make temporary things seem like they're permanent. Let me say that again in case you fell asleep or slipped into a coma. <laughs> the devil tries to make temporary things seem permanent. Oh, you're always going to struggle. You're never going to have enough. You're never going to get free. You're always going to have that addiction. You're your finances are always, you're going to always be broke. Come on. Come on. That's the enemy. That's what he says. He tells you this. He tells you that. And you know what? Sometimes when we're young, we're immature, we're just new, we're not sure, we believe him. But as we get more mature in the Lord and we see how the Lord redeems everything and brings everything full circle and, and blesses us and increases us, amen, and, and takes good care of us, and then, then we realize it's not true. These are temporary things, temporary struggles, temporary battles, but eternity waits for us. And what waits for us in eternity far outweighs anything we might go through in the days of our lives. And that's what Paul's trying to say here. 
The truth is all the things that we wrestle with right now are just light, momentary affliction. The first thousand years in heaven, we're not even going to remember. <laughs> and two million years in, we're, 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 we're going to have to say, what happened? I don't remember. All I know is the presence of God. We got to get this perspective because when we think that temporary things are permanent, we start to live for the moment. We make foolish choices. God help us. Verse 18 encourages us to not become the victim of spiritual tunnel vision, but to learn to look ahead. Listen to 18 and I close. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal or temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So it's an encouragement to us, what? Not to get this, you know, this tunnel vision here that, that only looks at the temporary. We've got to allow the Lord to take the blinders off so we can start to see the big picture. You know, you and I need to think about heaven a little more than we do. Anybody think about heaven lately? Or just problems and bills and bosses and jobs and lions and tigers and bears, oh my. We need to think about heaven because that's where we're headed. Man, it stinks here. I don't want to, this, this place is terrible. The politics is bad, you know, the government. And the, but, but this is not our final destination. All of that may be true, but we need to begin to look up. Otherwise, that, that tunnel vision there, it'll get us in trouble. We should ask God to show us the unseen things. All I can see is what I see, you know, with my natural understanding and my natural intellect and my, and my natural eyes. That's all I can see. Well, you and I uh, should be able to see spiritual things, and we need to ask God, show me the unseen things. I know what it looks like in the natural, and it doesn't look good. But God, show me what you're doing, amen? Show me what's going on behind the scenes. Show me what, what the angel armies of God have in store, amen? <laughs> we should ask God to show us the difference between what's temporary and what's eternal. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says we walk by faith and not by sight. If all we see are the things that are seen, we're walking by sight, so God, show us the unseen things so that we can walk by faith and we can have the joy of the Lord in any circumstance. Why? Because what we're going through is just light affliction. It's just for the moment. But what waits for us in eternity far outweighs anything we'll deal with in the days ahead. Let's bow our heads tonight. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for all these incredible, powerful verses, God. They are so, they just drip with your grace. Father, thank you so much by the Holy Spirit that you've highlighted these things to us and reminded us of this perspective that you worked into your servant, the Apostle Paul. May, may we have the same perspective, not tunnel vision, not focused on worldly things and temporary things, but let us be heavenly minded that, that we would look up and see that our hope is not in this world and in the kingdoms of this world, but an eternal kingdom that you have allowed us to be heirs of because of what you've done in our lives through Jesus. Fill us with the Spirit, Lord God, and continue to conform us into the image of Christ. May we look less and less like ourselves and more and more like Jesus. May the grace on our lives be a testimony to the lost and draw many into a soul-saving relationship with Christ. Use us, Lord, like human billboards for your grace. 
We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Give him praise tonight. Amen.